this Sunday I'll be sharing some thoughts in the in the main meeting and um, really excited about it. I, I, I hope it's not too much uh, of, of a repeat of what we've been doing in here, but I really feel like, and I've got a few new things I want to share out there that I haven't shared in here, but I really want to talk about this, um, this, this whole thing about spiritual circumcision. Because I really believe you cannot, um, we cannot really comprehend the new creation without a revelation of spiritual circumcision. Because spiritual circumcision is all about the cutting away of the flesh. And so it explains so much. The apostles explain so much about why we still sin as believers. And where is this sin? And what does it mean? And all this stuff. Very important. And if we don't get that right as a church, not just here, but worldwide, there will always be strange, weird doctrines about sin that really are not unscriptural. You know, stuff like, you know, you have to confess your sins all the time to stay right with God, which is common commonly taught in the church today that you have to constantly name your sins and stay forgiven and stay cleansed that's just one example or teaching that's out there that says you have to you should examine your heart for sin as a believer commonly taught out in the body of christ which is hugely wrong it puts you on the wrong track completely and actually works against what the holy spirit's trying to reveal to us about the new creation so those are the kind of things that's so key and i want to share some thoughts out there about that and um, talk a little bit about Abraham and the circumcision, circumcision of Abraham, what that means, and a um, um, little bit about what the Gnostics taught, so that because immediately people start hearing some of this and they'll say, that sounds Gnostic to me, that sounds like Gnosticism. So we're going to talk about that. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we need to remember, my brother Robert mentioned this one time I thought was so cool. He said, you know, when you start preaching that we're free from the law and we're not under the law and we're to be dead to the law and we're released from the law and the law is, is, uh, could do nothing and perfect and could make nothing perfect and uh, it was weak and useless. I mean, these are actual scriptures. You know, I mean, after a while, when you read all about the law, it's like pretty much like, let's forget the law. Uh, the law is good if you preach it rightfully, knowing this first, that it's not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. I mean, we know that whoever, that whatever the law says, it says it only to those who are under the law. I mean, over and over again, it's like clear. So, in that example of law, you have in our history, in our church history, um, those who came up with the term antinomian. And so they say, well, if you preach that way, you're antinomian. And my brother Robert brought up the point. He said, he said we've got to realize that the guys that came up with this term antinomian were the legalists. And it's true. The Puritans, they, 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 became, they slammed this, this whole freedom from law and called those people who taught that antinomian and now it's almost like in in church our church world today you start talking like Paul talked and talked about and you talk about how you you're free from the law it's it's so easy for somebody to just throw out a term oh that's antinomian that's not true that's antinomian no it's not it's 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 not it's Paul it's scripture it's like you know so anyway those are the kind of things that that we need to be wise to to not just take any theological term that has been thrown out there and uh, and look at it carefully to see what it really means because when the legalists are telling you that you're anti-law then maybe they're right but they don't believe it in the way that we believe it because we're not anti-law in the sense that we are pro-sin of course of course that's what they do they think immediately I think I always always find it humorous the way you start talking like Paul taught 
you, you know, about how we're free from law, and they immediately jump to the next, they jump to this conclusion, well, that means we can sin, that means we can do whatever we want to do, that means we can live in the way we want to live. And they, they jumped to that, and they, and this, they did to Paul, too, when Paul preached the gospel. And they said, well, Paul, what you're saying, let's just, let's just go sin, that grace may abound. So it, it's very common, in fact, if people are not responding that way to your gospel, you're probably not preaching the gospel. But then you can explain, like Paul explained, you know, what the gospel really is and what, what it means to live in union with Christ and let his life live through us. First five books are beautiful. First five books? First five books are Yeah. Yeah, they're beautiful pictures of uh, what Christ would do and what he would uh, proclaim and what he would be. So when they say the law, to bring it down to the definition of it, the first five books is what I got a revelation of. It, it really helps me to see that uh, the beauty of going back to the first five books and finding Christ within inside the law. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it's not just this, you know. Not just the commandments, but the Torah, the law, and the prophets. Absolutely. That, that's exactly right. The law and the prophets. And the way Jesus talked about how in all the scriptures, he is hidden in all the scriptures and revealed in all the scriptures. So what I thought I'd do this morning in the class, if you don't mind, is just um, we've been talking this part one about spiritual circumcision and part two about spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of the body of the flesh. Pretty heavy duty stuff. And this is really mature stuff, I I believe. This is like, this is not like, um, this is meat. And this is like, this is revelation that is the apostles taught. Um, and I think that um, there may be some questions about that. So I want to just, if you don't mind, just this morning, I'd like to just take your questions, if you have any questions about this, and then it might help me um, see where people might be out there when I go out there to share more thoughts about spiritual circumcision. But, um, but just a quick summary, what we talked about in the last part one and part two, you know, we talked about how that um, circumcision itself was a sign of the covenant God had with Abraham. And what's so cool about that is that he basically, God basically said in Genesis that um, in Genesis 17, 11, I believe, he said um, that this is my covenant, that, that uh, every male is to be circumcised. If they, if they are circumcised, they are in the covenant. If they are not circumcised, they have broken my covenant. So it's very interesting that before the law was ever given... God is saying here that I'm going to enter a covenant into a covenant with Abraham and his seed, his descendants, by one simple act, not doing anything moral, not doing anything good, but a act of circumcision, which is really weird if you think about it. Like, okay, God, God, holy God is saying, if you are circumcised, you're in this covenant with me, the covenant that I've given to Abraham, that I will bless and multiply you. This covenant that, that uh, because, you know, Abraham has believed, God counted his righteousness. And then so he gave the sign of the covenant being circumcision. And so he says, this is the one thing you have to do to be in my covenant. And so what happened in the work of Christ, God shows us that this is the one thing that brings us into the covenant with Christ. Is that we are circumcised through, Colossians says, through the circumcision of Christ. Now, you, you may wonder, like, why didn't God choose something that the women could get, on, get in on? Because the women can't be circumcised, right? The reason why is because Sarah's circumcision would, would be counted toward her in her union with Abraham. So the male would be the one circumcised. And in union with Abraham, 
his circumcision would count for the wife's circumcision, which is in the same way the bride of Christ, we receive the circumcision of Christ. We receive his work, his death. We cannot die for our own sins. So the bride of Christ receives, we're, like, like Clark says, be a good receiver. We receive from the circumcision of Christ. It's his death, not my death. I can't die for my sins. We can't atone for our sins. So the female bride of Christ receives from the male, the bridegroom, so his death becomes our death. That's what he was saying. That's what God is saying there. So in union with him, his circumcision becomes my circumcision. And so his death becomes my death. And also his life becomes my life. Isn't that awesome? It's, it's God's way of saying, this is all about me doing it for you. It's all about me doing it for you. It's not about morals. It's not about good deeds. It's not about being good enough. It's all about Abraham's faith, which makes him righteous, and an act of circumcision, which is a picture of the deeper truth that's coming, which is the death of Christ, which would be the, the judgment for the whole world. It's awesome. And so all this was hidden, and Paul saw this. Paul saw the, the um, you know, in Romans, he talks about Abraham and how this happened way before the law. He speaks about it in Galatians and so forth. One of the cool things about this, and I'll, just, I'll stop so we can take any questions if you're thinking about anything you want to ask. Um, one of the cool things about this, I think we mentioned already, is to see where God cut. He did not cut between soul and spirit. Because where, wherever he cut, that's where, he, that's where the sin is, is being separated wherever he cut. So he didn't cut between soul and spirit as is commonly taught in the church today that your spirit is saved, your soul is being saved, it still has sin in it and God's working on it, and your body will be saved. That's commonly taught in the church, but that's not how God did it. God cut between the body of the flesh and the inner man of soul and spirit. He basically removed all sin from the inner man and raised the inner man up from the dead, an act of creation which is awesome. Paul never talked about just part of you being saved or part of you being translated or part of you seated in the heavenlies. It's you, the new man, the new person, a person, soul and spirit has been raised up, not just part of you. And so that's why when you die, you can go immediately in the presence of the Lord. You, all of you, you, soul and spirit can go immediately in the presence of the Lord because it's really true what we sing. He has saved my soul. He's not being, I'm not being saved. He's not working on my soul. He's not trying to get me saved. He's not trying to fit me for heaven. He has done it in an act of creation. And that cannot really fully be comprehended apart from a revelation of spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of the body of of the flesh, which is a great mystery. And I, I hope I remember to say this out there, but one thing to remember, saints, is that we can only understand and articulate these things to a point. I will not be able to understand this side of heaven, everything about this mystery of iniquity and this mystery of godliness and this awesome circumcision and this awesome resurrection and this awesome union. To a point, we can understand and articulate it. It's in the scripture so we can have enough to believe and see and comprehend. But it will always remain a mystery until we see him face to face. We will then know all things as we are known. So... It, at some point, what I'm saying basically is at some point, you just need to believe, we need to believe the church worldwide needs to believe the apostles. We just need to believe the apostles and believe what Jesus is teaching us because they know, they know God gave them the revelation. They wrote it down for us so we could understand this great mystery of new creation and this, this whole thing. Because I tell you what, the way God works, in my opinion, God, you know what God's all about in, in terms of how he works? God is all about death and resurrection. That's what he's all about. That's how he does things. 
death. He, 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 dis, he terminates one thing and creates something new. It's no middle ground, no wishy-washy, no process of someone getting better and better. No, death, resurrection. And that's the key to understanding the ways of God. One of the ways of God is that he raises the dead and calls into being that which did not exist before. He's a creator and he creates. And once he creates, he's done. When he creates, he says, it is good. It is good. And he's done. It's, it's not like a, uh, most people see, I think, the new creation in the church. They see it as a starting point. Like that's a starting point for your heart to get better. You know, God creates, gives, you know, that new creation really is looked at by a lot of preachers and teachers as just God starting to work on your heart, you know, but that's, that's not true. We either have a new heart or we don't. So that's one of the things that I think is so cool that we need to, that hopefully uh, with the help of the spirit of God, I'll be able to speak out, out in the church this morning. And, and um, I, I think it's, it, light bulbs are going to go on. I, I really believe that because this is rarely, if ever, taught in the church, this whole thing about how sin has been quarantined in the members of our body. And so if you don't have it taught, then, then basically all you have left is that sin must be in my heart, you know? And that's where the confusion begins, and then that's where the whole gospel begins to unravel, and you really end up with just religion trying to, trying to improve flesh. Yes, Hazel? Let's, let's start taking some questions. Cool. Yeah, cool. Um, I heard this years ago, but I never could get my mind around it. I could not renew my mind to this because I couldn't really see the parallel between the physical circumcision and the spiritual circumcision. I just couldn't. It kept. I would get it, and then it would just go away. I could never totally receive it because I couldn't figure it out. And it was just recently just over the past few months that I feel like I can own this for the first time. And I've been pondering this for years. But the key for me, and I think we talked a little bit about this, but the key for me is in the physical circumcision, when something's cut away, you just have the part that's left. You don't have the part that's cut away anymore. It's gone. Right. It's gone. But in the spiritual spiritual circumcision, we're still always talking about the spirit and talking about the flesh, talking about the spirit, talking about the flesh. The scripture says, set your affections on things above, not, not on things on the earth. Yes. And I think that we, the reason that we can't receive this and own it and be changed by it is that we keep looking at this realm all the time. We're just constantly examining this realm. And a couple of weeks ago, Clark said, it might have been last week, he said, the reason, and this kind of jolted me when he said it, I had to like, what? He said, the reason God can't see our sins is they're not there. And then I thought about it. That's, isn't that awesome? That's because, that's because we, we are looking at this flesh where God circumcised us. He doesn't even look at that anymore. That's right. So if we would look where God looks in our spirit, we wouldn't see the sin either. That's right. So that's the circumcision. That's, that's exactly right. The new creation is without sin. It has to be that way because he has joined himself to us. And like Clark says, God doesn't live in a dirty house. And um, that's exactly right. And Paul says this whole thing about the mindset on the flesh, that's what Paul understood. He said, he said, that's why we have to change our mindset. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. It's that new reality. But that's exactly right. Once that, 
once the foreskin is cut off and, and thrown away, you don't focus on that. And that's why Paul in his letters says stuff like, don't you know you die? Don't you know the old man died? Not, he's not gradually dying. He died. Don't you know that? He says, don't know any man after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. If, if he's telling us to know each other no longer after the flesh, how much more does God not know us after the flesh? You know, he doesn't recognize it. He doesn't recognize Ishmael. He doesn't recognize Ishmael. He recognizes Isaac, the, the, the child born of promise, not the flesh. And so we, that's, that's a whole new mindset of, of seeing how God sees us so that we can grow in that, in that awareness. The mindset on the flesh is life and peace. 24-7 life and peace, regardless of our performance, because it is not about our performance. It's not about the flesh. Isn't that awesome? Bill, you had a... Yeah. My biggest, I guess, stumbling block is I really don't have set in my mind what is spirit and soul and what is flesh. For instance, my mind is flesh, right? What I think is flesh. Not necessarily. That's my problem. Okay, let's talk about that then. Let's talk about that. Um, first of all, realize that we have a brain and we have a mind. When you die, the mind leaves the brain. The brain is still on the ground, on the ground or in the, in the casket, but the mind is not there. So that's the first thing to realize the mind is separate from the brain. Your mind, your person that thinks is really separate from the body, from the brain. But we have to work through the brain now in these bodies. And that's why we are unable to receive fully revelation or express fully revelation. We see in part, we prophesy in part because of us having to work through something of this creation, of this creation, which is the brain. Okay. Paul also says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay. He also says, we have the mind of Christ. Okay, so look at it this way. The new man has the mind of Christ, meaning we can access the thoughts of God. We can grow in this awareness of how God sees things. The mind of Christ. And the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God that's joined to our spirit, the human spirit. For the, for the, for the, the Scripture says that when the Holy Spirit is joined to the human spirit, they are one. Because man has a human spirit. And God made us that way so he could join himself to us and be in us and we could be in him. That's the whole point of having a human spirit made in his image. God is spirit. He made us in his image. So when he joined us to himself as a believer, the mind of Christ comes through the Holy Spirit into now our spirit, which is new, created new. So the spirit of our mind that Paul's referring to there in Ephesians, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, is your new spirit, your new mind. Your new person has, is able to think the thoughts of God and to, and to start seeing things as he sees things. Now, what happens when I think evil thoughts and fleshly thoughts? Okay, is that, is that the, um, the new me, the new mind thinking those thoughts? The answer is no. This is where the... The understanding needs to come because the power of sin in the body, in the flesh, affects the way, the way we think. It, it bends us. It, um, it, it bends us toward a self-centeredness and, and fleshly unlove. Really, what, if, you, if you look at the works of the flesh, they're all unlove. The works of the flesh are, you know, if you list, look at the list of the works of the flesh, they're all about not loving you know, it's, it's all about not loving, jealousy, envy, strife, adultery, whatever. It's, it's, not, it's all about not, not love. 
So the flesh is all about not love, okay? But what's at the bottom? What's at the core of the power of sin? This is what I want to try to share out there. And the core of this power of sin that works in our body comes from the garden. It's, we can see back in the garden. Paul says in Romans that when the law came to him, thou shalt not covet, he said sin deceived him. Sin deceived him. And then he found himself coveting and death came to him. Okay, what is that? What did sin deceive him about? The essence of the power of sin that affects our mind, that makes us, that bends us toward fleshly thoughts and selfish thoughts and self-centered thoughts, the, the, the power of sin that works in our members go, comes from the garden. What was the, what was the seed of deception that was implanted in the Adamic race? It was, and it come, it comes up, it's in the, it's, it's, it's rampant in the natural mind. It's part of the natural, um, nature. The, the, the human nature, the fallen nature. And it is this, and we talked about this before, but it is, it is this thought, what's that? This, it's this thought that you can be your own person, you can be whatever you want, you can be like God, you can be all these things without God. That's the seed of it. That's the essence, a root. Sin deceived Paul because when he got the commandment, when the commandment came, sin deceived me, he said. What was the commandment? Thou shalt not covet. What was he deceived about? He was deceived about, I can do this. I can do this. I won't covet. And then he, and then he tried not to covet and he found all manner of coveting as he, as he, tried, not, as he tried not to covet. So what's the deception? What was the, what's the real essence of the power of sin in us? And it goes back to the, really the angelic fall. That says, I don't want you, God. I can be be like God. I will ascend above the Most High. I will, I will, I will, I will. Five I wills, Satan said to God. That is what was implanted in the human race. That, That thinking that we don't need God, that we can do this, okay? It manifests in unlove. It manifests in acts of unlove, but the seed of the unlove, the seed of the manifestation is, I'm on my own, I don't need anybody, I don't need God, I can do this, I, I don't need to hear anybody teach me how to do it, I am, my, I am the captain of my ship or whatever. Okay, that's what's in man. Now, the Son of God came with the divine nature. His nature was, I can do nothing without my Father. Just the opposite. That's in you. As a new creation, you and I have the DNA, the divine nature of Christ. Deep inside of you, you have a deep desire. You, the real you. The real you. And this is where the church has missed it. Because most of the church is preaching about how sinful your heart is. And that's missing the boat. Because the real you, deep down, you delight to rely on your papa. Release that, see? And, 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 and when we try, find ourselves walking after the flesh and thinking fleshly things and doing unloving things, just remember the root of it is that, man, when's the last time I really depended on God? When's the last time I thanked Him? Because a barometer, a barometer to, to kind of see if you're depending on God is that you're thankful a lot. You're thanking him all the time. That's a barometer. 
It's not a rule to keep. It's a barometer. Another, another barometer that you're depending on Christ is that you pray a lot. Not that, you know, get up 3 o'clock in the morning and pray four hours. No, you, you're always pray without ceasing. You're always these little prayers, one here, one there. God, thanks. Oh, God. God, help me. Give me favor. I'm about to have this business meeting. Give me favor, Lord. Give me wisdom. I'm about to go into court now, Lord. I pray you give me wisdom. Help me to think clearly, Lord. Thank you. And when it's over and I'm winning and I won the case, you know, I come back in the garage in my car and I'm going, Lord, thank you so much. You're so good. You always help me. You always help me. You know, that's the life. That's how God wants us to live, you know. It's like, and he gives us wisdom, and that's the divine life of living dependent and thankful. And, and a lot of prayers going up all the time, a lot of prayers, little words here, words here. Words. That's what Paul meant by pray without ceasing. It's not this formalistic thing. It's like it's conversation back and forth, and, and God's speaking, and, or you want to study a scripture, you wonder, like, God, what does that scripture mean? And ponder it, uh, think about it during the day, and go over it in your mind and think about it, you know. And, and then light comes in on this Word, you go, oh yeah, wait, what is that? What was that? What was that? And then, and then you ponder that, and it's like, and then something else happens. You know, like driving here the other, other Sunday, the Spirit just dropped in my heart. He's, God said, basically said, tell them that they can go from uncircumcision to circumcision, but they can't go from circumcision to uncircumcision. It's done. It's the, it's the door that you walk through, the, the, the door of no return. Because what He blesses, He keeps. What He blesses, He keeps. Isn't that awesome? So that's, that's, that's the power of... of uh, so anyway, what happens with the... And that's what Jesus was talking about, how we're branches on a vine. And he said, he said, he said apart from me, you can do nothing. Just as, apart from the, the, as the son said, apart from the father, he could do nothing. He says, as I live by the father, so shall you live by me. Now get this part right here, saints. I don't know if I shared this before, but this is so cool. Jesus had something to eat. He had something to eat. He ate something that he could eat because he had no sin. His meat and his drink, he said, was to do the will of the Father and to finish whatever work he has sent him to do. He had nourishment from doing. This is not legalism. This is really awesome. This is deep stuff here. If you get this, okay. He, he had nourishment from doing the will of his father and a sense of accomplishing the work he had sent him to do, right? We cannot eat that food. Not directly. We cannot eat that food directly. He made us as a branch on a vine. He said, as I live by the father... You shall live by me. We eat of him bread and wine. That's, only, that's the only meal we can eat. We're wired that way as a new creation in complete dependence on him. So we feed on Christ in our heart by faith. We don't feed on doing. We feed on him. But when we feed on him, he does in us. And we have a sense of nourishment in the doing. You see it? Yes. Awesome. That's where the doing comes in. You know, everybody wants to know, what do we do? What do we do? Well, that's what we do. But it's really Christ doing it through us. And there's a, there's a deep sense of nourishment because it's Christ himself that no flesh can glory in his presence. Flesh doing it brings pride to the flesh. So flesh tries to do it. Flesh brings their vegetables from the toil of their labor and offers 
offers an offering to God from their, you know, Cain offers his vegetables from the sweat of his brow. And God did not accept it because flesh is trying to do through the sweat of his brow and raise crops and offer them as an offering. God did not accept Cain's offering. Abel brings the blood of a lamb and says, I can do nothing. A picture of Christ coming that would take our sin away. Another, another would die. Another would be his righteousness. And God accepted Abel's offering. He didn't try to do. He recognized I cannot do. The, the best I can offer is death. And another one must atone for me. See? So it's the, it's, it's this, um, it's, the, it's the power. It's understanding the power of sin in our flesh. The root of all our acts of unlove our fleshly selfishness, self-centeredness, whatever form it may take, can all be boiled down in unlove, which is why all law can be all summed up in love. It's that simple. It's awesome because the divine nature is love. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love is not jealous. Love is not envious. Love doesn't you know, try to have its own way. Love does, keeps no record of wrongs. Love, 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 love. It's God. It's Christ. But unlove does all those things. But the root of that flesh unlove is really a spirit of independence. That's really what it all is. It comes from the garden when they took in the knowledge of good and evil because they believed the lie that you can do this. You can be like God without God. You, if you knew this, if you knew, if you knew right and wrong, you could do, be like him. You don't need God to be like God. And so he, the enemy, he... he injected this lie that we don't need God. And of course, that's the whole world. Lies in the, in the, the uh, power of the wicked one. The whole world thinks they don't need God. And that's where the gospel comes in. That's where the gospel, the power of God's love to soften the heart of the unbeliever, to see a God who would give everything. To soften the heart that they might believe and receive Everything. From him. Righteousness, holiness, life, everything. And then in that goodness of God that leads a man to repentance and change of mind, the miracle happens and we are made a partaker of the divine nature. That divine nature now delights to rely on him. And as we feed on Christ and remember him, a great mystery takes place and the very life of Christ himself in us is being manifested in us where we find ourselves enjoying his meat and his drink which is to do the will of our awesome dad and to finish his work. Isn't that awesome? But all of that will unravel, all of that will, will be opened up to believers as we see the, 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 the really get a revelation of spiritual circumcision and new creation. And, and this whole issue of sin. You know, what, what did God do with sin? How did he handle sin? Once that is clear, it'll be like popcorn. Revelation will come. And the understanding of the new covenant will unravel and unfold before us like unbelievable. And men will say, oh my gosh, why didn't we see this before? And then the focus will no longer be trying to fix the flesh. But the focus will be on seeing Christ and what he has done beholding him, beholding what he has done, that we might see ourselves in him because to see him is to see yourself as in a mirror and be renewed in your mind by this dynamic that's from heaven. Tina? I have 
believed. He was the one who, who was considered righteous because he believed. So when the circumcision happened for him, it's like God separated his unbelief. It's like it was separated. He was considered righteous, so that part was cut away, the unbelief. So when we as Christians are circumcised in our, in our hearts, our unbelief is cut away uh, so that we are just believers. And as we renew our minds to more and more uh, believing in God and God's love, then our unbelief is, is, is just separated from us. So when we find ourselves going back there, we have to know that we've been separated from that. So you can almost boil sin down to one thing, unbelief. So we're, we're righteous, we're believers, so the sin or the unbelief is cut away from us. Yeah. Yeah. His this must relate, because I've been pondering this scripture. You know, you always say this, as you received him, so walk in him. Right. And before that it says, did you receive him from hearing the word or from doing right actions? And, of course, we received him because we heard the word and we believed it. And the next verse says, as you received him, so walk. So we have to continue to hear. And we have to continue to believe what we hear. Right. As our mind is we walk, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And, and I think what... Um, of course, Abraham believed before he was circumcised. Paul makes a big point of that because in Romans, he's, he's showing that circumcision doesn't do anything. That's just a sign of the faith that Abraham had while yet uncircumcised, is what Paul said, okay, in, in Romans. So he's saying, basically he's saying the Gentiles have hope too because he got righteous before God when he was uncircumcised. And so he was trying to make the point that it's not just the Jew that's going to be saved, but the Gentile too. But I like that what you're saying about cutting off unbelief because in a sense, that's, I think that's true because it's the new... Because you believe before, he believed before he was circumcised. So he had faith. He had unbelief was gone before he was circumcised. But the sign of the covenant that was given to Abraham is a picture of, was really a picture of what, you know, Christ would do through his death and the cutting away of our body and our union with him. Um, and in a sense, unbelief is cut away because that whole mindset of the flesh, the, the, the mindset of the uncircumcised um, is a mindset of unbelief. And the scripture says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And the scripture says the Holy Spirit is given to convict the world of sin. Why? What sin? Because they believe not on Jesus. So it's, in a sense, it really is true that the essence of all sin is just unbelief and specifically an unbelief in Jesus. And so, this, in fact, that's the only sin that there is no forgiveness for. That is the unpardonable sin that Jesus talked about, that there's no forgiveness in this life or in the life to come, is a rejection of the one who has taken away sin, which is logical because if you reject Jesus... There's no other forgiveness. There's no forgiveness for sin. There remaineth no other sacrifice for sin. So that is the one unpardonable sin. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were rejecting him, his identity as, as the Messiah through the miracles that were happening. And they were calling it the work of the devil. And so Jesus cut to the chase and he said, you know, you're hardening your heart to what the Holy Spirit is doing and trying to show you who I am. And because you're hardening your heart to who I am, you're committing the unpardonable sin. Because if you reject me, there remains no other sacrifice for sin. And there's no forgiveness in this life or in the life to come because he is the only one that takes away sin. So it's, it's very, it's, it's logical too. Yeah.
Exactly. That, that you're exactly right. He's not, he's not really talking about a believer trying to keep this list because in the next verse, he says, for those who are Christ have already crucified the flesh and it luts thereof. In other words, that's not who you are anymore. But this is a picture of somebody who is outside of Christ and they shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Same phrase he uses in the Ephesian letter when he says the sons of disobedience do this. The sons of disobedience are the ones who have not received Christ. You're the sons of the obedient one because you have believed on Christ. But in, even in that Galatian passage, he's saying that those who belong to Christ have already crucified the flesh. The judgment's already taking place. We still stumble and we still sin at times. That's the whole point of John saying we have an advocate with the Father. But you're exactly right. That's not a list to try to do so you can inherit heaven. That would go against the whole Galatian letter. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Lord, we just thank you for your love and awesome love toward us. I pray that, Lord, that we would see more and more and just rest rest in your everlasting arms Lord your wisdom is not of this world it's your counsel is wonderful full of wonder I pray by the Holy Spirit we would know the thoughts of God because we do have the mind of Christ help me speak this morning Lord help me speak help me speak what you would have me say in the spirit of Christ and in the power of Christ. Thank you, Father, for my saints, I mean, for my brothers and sisters who are saints and who are holy and who are priests of God. Thank you, Father, for my brothers and my sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.